And we are live. Welcome to Game Breakers, everyone. Your guy Edwin back again. You know what time it is, man. But guys, I'm not gonna lie. This is all energy that is fake right now because I am pissed off. You see, recording on a Tuesday morning. I could have recorded last night or yesterday, Monday, but I was too distraught. I was too upset because of my Arsenal team. And I'm gonna give a quick rant here before I get into everything. Before that. Hope you guys are doing well out there. Hope everyone's having a good start to Monday. And I hope that you guys are still grinding. You know, despite what sports may do to you, what it does to me, you can still push on and achieve your dreams. So never forget that. And let's keep on grinding for that money or that goal that you're achieving for. But let's talk about freaking Arsenal, man. Seriously, where do I begin? Where do I begin? I it is so sad. It is so sad being an Arsenal fan. It is so annoying. So, so very flamboyant sometimes. So crushing, disheartening, depressing being an Arsenal fan. If I'm being real honest, guys, I, my whole summer is ruined for soccer reasons, at least, you know, for the most part. But for soccer reasons, everything is ruined. Why? Because I have a team that is a team filled with no heart, no ambition, no structure, and no brain sometimes. I can't believe this. I just can't. You know what's funny? Out of all my teams, Arsenal, Heat, the Jets, you know, now I'm incorporating the Rangers here too, but I'll get to that when I get uh, uh, more of an understanding of hockey. But out of all my teams... Arsenal is the the worst when it comes to being run from top to bottom. Management, players, it is the worst. Because with my heat, I know that every year we're going to have some type of level of competitiveness because we have guys like Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra, great head coaches, great organization, great managers, great presidents from top to bottom that's going to help this team be constructed in a way to give us a shot uh, competing every year. And I had reason, you know, people think I'm delusional. They do. People think I'm actually crazy to believe that my team can win the finals this year. I'm not crazy because the work speaks for itself. I had some co-workers saying, you know what? The Bucks, the Nets, the Suns, and the Warriors would make it farther than you in the playoffs. Well, so far, we're halfway there, huh? Because as far as I'm concerned, only one team remains from that list that he pointed out. And I have people over here always doubting my team, but I have reason to believe for the Jets. You know, I know what I'm going to get from my Jets team. I know, right? There's always going to be that time or that time frame where I'm going to believe in my team. I'm going to hope for the best results to possibly come out on the field for my team because I just believe in the roster. I believe in the talent, the young talent. And as a fan, you naturally want to see something happen, right? But when we're not good or when we don't have the talent, it's obvious to see that we don't have the talent. But what makes me believe in their team is the management. Joe Douglas doing his job, giving me hope, good results on paper at least. Now, whether or not it translates into production on the field is up to the coaches now. Because on paper, I'm happy. On paper, I see, okay, I like what we've done. I, I, I like the players that we have 
acquired from the draft and the free agency to say that I'm excited for next season. And now it's all dependent on the leap that Zach Wilson takes. It's all dependent on Robert Sala predicated on whether or not our coaches can get the most out of our players. But for the most part, I'm happy. I'm happy. And I know that my Jets squad has been a laughing stock for years now, but for the first time in a long time, I feel really confident. I'm not talking about my fake, my false hope confident. I feel really confident going into next season with these kind of games. But when it comes to Arsenal, when it comes to Arsenal, Every season is a letdown. Every season is false hope. Every season it's capitulation, quote-unquote for how England say it, bottlers, which basically means that we screwed it up, we missed our chance, we blew it. Every season from top to bottom, Stan Kroenke, Edu, Vinay, Mikel Arteta. You know, I know that some of my American followers don't understand unless you watch the sport religiously, but... For the UK followers or for the European followers, you know who I'm talking about. And I just wonder, starting off with Stan Kroenke, it's, it's, it's the same thing every year. It's the same thing every year. Why do we have this guy as our owner? Why do we have him not being enough help to the team? Why do we have him choosing our managers to run this club when we have a novice manager who can't get the most out of these players? And yes, now he's finally given us money to spend, but he's given the money to spend in the wrong places as in he's giving the money to a manager who doesn't know how to man-manage players to spend on the wrong players. And to quote-unquote help out his tactics, his philosophy that has not worked out yet. Back-to-back seasons of eighth, now we're about to finish fifth. Because last day doesn't matter what we do last day. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. All right? It doesn't matter if you give the man the money. It don't matter how much money you give me. But if I don't spend it or invest it in the right places, why? What, what does it matter? That money is useless now. It's useless. The scouting department, Vinay, Edu, all these guys, you know, I don't care about your, about you picking out the players that are young talent and, and we want to build with a foundation. I don't care about all that. I want to see results. Results. Okay, it's it's different from the Jets' perspective where we have a fully young squad. The squad is really, really young. One of the youngest teams in the NFL. It still will be one of the youngest teams in the NFL going into next season. But the difference is, is that we had to start from top to bottom. We have to scratch everything off. Now we have the same owner. We have a novice manager. And now we're going to start everything on a different foundation of getting young players in. When we don't have an owner who cares about the club, when we don't have the, the correct scouting talent, and we don't have the people spending the money where it needs to be spent on. I mean, seriously, this is a shame. A shame. And Mikel Arteta, you know, I don't swear on this podcast at all, but that guy is so ass as a manager. Disgusting. Putrid. Tactics. Trash. And you know me, as a, as a fan, you know me, right? Beginning of the season, I'm not sure if I, if I voiced this or not, but I was like, you know what, Mikel Teta is gone. He's, he's trash. He's gone. You know, he's done all he can. Uh, nothing against him personally, but he's done all he can. This is not the right job for him at all at this moment. This club is too big. 
the expectations from the fans are too big for him to, to deliver on. All right? But as we get to the meat part of the season and we're winning some games and we're looking good, you know, I, I backed off a little bit. I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to hope for the best for this guy. Despite us finishing back-to-back seasons of eighth, I'm going to hope for the best in, in the sense of him getting us top four or at least hoping for that. And for a good duration of the latter part of the season, we were in that race against our rivals, Tottenham Hotspur. But once again, and I said this, I said that I'm going to take it game by game because for me to believe purely that we would get top four, it's one thing to hope, but it, but it's another thing to believe that we would get top four after all the mistakes that this guy has made at this club is insane. We gave this man so much money to spend on this club. And he brings back players that are failing right now. Failing. Tavares. Cedric. Albert Sambilakanga. Willian. Why would you even sign Willian? That was even last year ago. Why would you sign Willian? A Chelsea reject. Why? Why would you, why would you do that? What an idiotic move. And obviously, as a fan, I have to back that. But that move came back to bite us, did it not? Why would you even do that? Why? Why would you, you know, and it's so sad, right? Because I just look at the, the players, for instance, and I say to myself, even today when we lost Newcastle 2-0, a team that we should be beating, and we didn't, we didn't lose top four off this season. We lost it a couple of weeks ago when we lost to Southampton, Brighton at home. We got thrashed by Crystal Palace. We treat Crystal Palace like they're Liverpool. What the heck? <laughs> oh my gosh. We treat Crystal Palace every year like they are Man City or Liverpool. Why do we give this team so much respect every year? And you know, coming into this game, now, Monday night, it's going to be Monday night. It was supposed to be Monday night in UK, like a night game. You know, like, like how we do our TNT nights in America or whatever, like the star matchups, blah, blah, blah. Coming into this game, I said to myself, you know what? In the past, we've struggled a lot in these kind of situations where we're going away from home Monday night. It might be the weather might not be the best. But away from home in these kind of conditions, we struggle a lot. And yes, Top four is still there, so I'm going to hope for it. But for the most part, I'm just like, you know, I don't really feel confident going into this matchup. I don't. And what happened? I was proven right. I don't like being proven right about these kind of things. I don't. I really don't. To have our our performance like this, it's a top four battle. What more needs to be said? It's a top four battle. And you look at the performance of the players. And you say to yourself, yeah, they didn't get up for the for the whole entire game. They didn't have no energy, no enthusiasm, no, no ascendancy in the game. There was no there was no uh trying for the extra balls, grit, fight, none of that. Through 90 minutes, 90 minutes, like maybe five minutes, probably. How do we go a game where we need to win and we play? with certainty for only 10 minutes. That's insane. And I go back to this whole philosophy of them not really believing in the manager. Yo, I've seen some 
some crazy teams play up for it. They play with heart and grit. And they play with certainty. And they play with energy. But their manager is lackluster. The coach is lackluster. He's trash. But because they have the grit and the the pride to not lose the way they lose, they're going to still play up for it. Even if they get blown out at the end, even if they fall short, we don't respect them. We don't. We don't believe in him. Because there's no way that this team, like, yo, we saw it this season with the Pelicans and Willie Green. Going back to USA for a second. Pelicans, I mean, Willie Green is, is in a, he's a new coach, right? He's an ascending coach now. But the Pelicans purely played in that series against the Suns purely off of enthusiasm and fighting for their coach. Purely off of following him into battle, into war. Who thought the Pelicans would get two games in that series? No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I, I thought they'd be lucky to get one. And they had a chance to actually win the series, in my opinion. But, you know, Suns are a deeper team. They don't have enough to get over the hump. But they had enough based off of the the the, the pep talk, the enthusiasm. And I see Mikael Teta. Nothing. A guy who's lackluster. Can't get his team up for uh, the most important game of the season. Can't get your team up for that. Insane. And I look at the, the the past instances of him managing players. You know, I know you guys, some of you guys don't know the players I'm about to mention, but, you know, it doesn't matter. It's my rant anyway, so who cares? <laughs> the point is, is that he couldn't man-manage Gwen Doozy. He couldn't man-manage Torreira. He couldn't man-manage um, Ozo for the matter, but Ozo was like, you know, Ozo, Una Emery, there was like a trend in that, so I, I get that. I'll give you that. I, I'll give you that. But he couldn't man-manage Abba. That hurt me the most, man. For all my Arsenal fans out there, you know, who know about my, my passion for this club, they know that I, I supported Aubameyang a lot. That hurt me the most. For him to just let him go like that and have no backup plan, no replacement. Seriously. So for all the delusional Arsenal fans, because I see it. I see it down my timeline. Oh, yeah. You know, we have to have, you know, realistic expectations because who would have thought that we would have lost our first three games and looked that terrible to now be in a top four battle nonsense? Shut the hell up. What do you want? What are your standards? Fifth? Six? That's your standards? Listen, I don't care the way we started before the season. Before the season started, I said to myself, even though I knew it was more realistic for us to believe we, we weren't going to get top four, but I said at the start of the season that this guy better get top four. I don't care what happens because in the past, he's got eight twice. He's been in eighth position twice. That's mid-table club stuff. So this season, I don't care what he does, he better get top four. And then we lose the first three games. And then it's looking bad. I'm saying he might not even make it past the fifth game. Then we go on this little run where we're winning games. And now we're getting all this false hope. And now we're winning some games where we're, we're out of the race momentarily. Then we come back and we, we're four points clear with three games left to play. 
and we get battered by our rivals. We lose away from home to Newcastle. Now we have one more game to play where it doesn't even matter what happens because this was the game to do it. This guy, man, seriously. This guy, guys like him are not up to the challenge, are not up to the challenge. And the man management, the spending, yo, you can't tell me nothing. You just can't tell me nothing because, listen, we can say that Cedric Tavares was young, but it's his player, right? Samuel Conga, his player. Ben White, his player, who, by the way, Willem Saliba is out there winning – uh, awards and man match of the week and all that other great stuff. And we over here spending 50 million on another center back when we didn't need one. Not to say that Ben White is trash. He's not trash. He's an above average defender, but we didn't need him. We didn't need him. Didn't need him. And some of his players that he bought have cost us this season. And some of the players that, you know, I want to talk about how, how scarce or how little of depth that we have with this squad that's his fault <laughs> that's his fault because he wanted to loan out players instead of keeping squad players that we need to fill out the depth of this team and instead of doing that we have injuries across the globe Carantini out Thomas Partey out oh we don't have no backups oh yeah I forgot because Oh, Tamiyasu injured in today's match. Oh, I forgot we 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 loaned out Callum Chambers and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. We never brought back Torreira. We never brought back Granduzzi. We didn't believe he didn't even give Saliba a chance. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm sick to my stomach, guys. I am sick to my stomach. And I just look at everything and I say to myself, man, he ruined a lot of this. He really did. Players take blame too, because Lacazette, how could you let Lacazette, how could you let Eddie and Ketia, of all people, take your spot? Once again, no disrespect to these guys as human beings, as players, I mean, as players, not different, sorry, but as human beings outside of football. But when it comes to football reasons or soccer reasons, how could you let him take your spot? This guy is. He's not it. He is not it at all. And you let him take your spot. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Shame. Shame on you guys. Shame on the whole Arsenal squad because now I got people over here making fun of me again. Making fun of me. Because I believed in my team to do a simple job, win your last two games, and you're in. Win a couple more games before that, and you would have clinched it a long time ago. But we have a case of us coming to Newcastle. Newcastle battered us. I mean, we finished off the game with 51 to 49%, but they had about what? 87%? Yeah, 87% in the first half compared to like our 13. It was insane. They played with urgency. We didn't play with no urgency. What the heck is that? I cannot believe this, man. I just cannot believe this. Why do I have to go through this every year where I believe in this team somewhat, they give me false hope, or they just play downright trash, and I'm just miserable as a, as a fan. And I have other fan bases making fun of me. 
Oh, you guys do this every year. Oh, you guys not going to get top four. Oh, back the process. Trust the process. Make all that to end. Shut the hell up. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Mikko Arteta needs to go right now, man. I'm sorry. He needs to go. He's been here too long. But what do I know? Right? What do I know? These guys are not going to go. It is what it is. It is what it is. All right, guys. Let's move on to some lightning news. Jair Alexander has signed. Oh, he's not signed yet, but he's agreed to a four-year, $84 million contract extension. Uh, deal includes $31 million in 2022. And a DB record of 30 million in signing bonus. All right. That is great. And by the way, he is now the highest paid cornerback on average in the NFL. Look at that top five group. It's nice company to be in. So a guy who was drafted 18th overall in 2018, 188 tackles, uh, 44 passes deflected, five INTs and three fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles. doesn't really matter for me about that. But the most part is that Jair Alexander is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. That is hands down. He's one of those guys that you can say, okay, put him on this guy and take off half of the field. That's rare in the NFL. I mean, we want to say all the time that we have these great cornerbacks. Yeah, for the most part, we have great cornerbacks in the NFL, but only a couple of them, only a handful of them can take off one side of the field. And I believe that Jair Alexander is one of those guys. I really do. I think he has the good combination of cover skills and physicality. And you know me, I like my my DBs to be physical, get up there and tackle, because there's this notion that DBs don't like to tackle. Nah, we don't get that with Jay Alexander. We don't. That guy goes up there and tackle. He's physical, press, can't get past him. So when you look at that and you have that cornerstone for the Packers, again, signed for a long deal, that's outstanding. And the Packers were 10th last season in passing yards defended, as in the average that they, that they would give it for yardage. Zaire bumps them up to top five easily. Easily. Now, yes, he was injured last year. He did make a cameo appearance or an appearance in the NFC Championship game. We get that, but he wasn't really used because he was injured, coming back from an injury. But for the most part, going into next season, and yes, I'm not really a big believer in the Packers anyway to do something because obviously they will win the division. I mean, that might be tougher now, a little bit now, because the Vikings are, quote-unquote, on the ascendancy. But for the most part, they will win it again. They will have home field advantage. I'm not sure if they'll have home field advantage for the whole entire playoffs, but they will have that. Um, but there are different parts of that team that makes me go, mm, I'm not sure anymore. I'm just not sure. Notably, the, the receiver core, right? Yeah, I know you just drafted Christian Dotson, but... Yeah, that's not that's not it for me. It's not it's not enough. But going on to the defensive side of the things, maybe they can win more games by just playing gritty, playing some great defense, winning in the trenches, and also taking the team's offensive identity away. That could possibly work. And having Jay Alexander to do that would be a big boost for this team. So yes, it's a great move. It's a great cornerstone move. It's a great franchise move. Now, in the future, we'll see how effective they will be as a team. But overall, I love this move. I'm going to give it an A for me. Um, once again, Jair Alexander is one of those guys, man. One of those guys that can take off half of the field. Not too many guys can do that. Not too many guys can do that. Let's move on. Rajon Rondo. Some very disturbing news about Rajon Rondo apparently pulling a gun on his former partner, Ashley Bachelor. 
who is the mother of two children um, and was granted an emergency protective order against Rajan Rondo. Okay, so we have the quote here. The quote here, according to TMZ Sports, um, and she says, I am extremely fearful for my safety and for the safety of my children. Rajan has a history of volatile, erratic, explosive behavior. He is verbally, emotionally, and financially abusive. He physically hits our son and calls him names like P-U-S-S-Y and accuses him of acting like a B-I-T-C-H. Rajan verbally assaults our daughter. He calls her names like Thought, B-I-T-C-H, and D-I-C, or yeah, D-I-C-K, Head. Rajan has made several threats on my life, saying at various times he will shoot me or shoot up my car. That is very disturbing. That is very disturbing. Oh, my goodness. All right. And there was also an incident where um, he had a violent outburst when she asked her son to, uh, I, I'm guessing, fold the laundry or separate the laundry while they were both playing video games. And Rajan gets mad. He says, you're dead to her. And she attempted to de-escalate the situation, but he leaves. The scene comes back with a gun. And on top of that, pulls his children outside. He yells at them. And she fears for the safety and her safety as well, too. Now, you guys know how I feel about these kind of things, right? I don't have enough information to make a just conclusion. All I will say is that right now, just the look of it seems very disturbing. Very disturbing. Now, I'm not going to say and say she lies because I don't think people would really lie about this. Some people definitely would, though. Let's keep it a buck. But for the most part, um, if, in fact, Rondo, Rondo does do this behind closed doors, sheesh, put that man in jail immediately. <laughs> I'm not even lying because that is very disturbing. Like, I don't understand. Going back to these, these other instant, instant, instances of these star athletes putting hands on women and, you know, just being enraged and beating up your children. I'd never get that. I really don't. And I would never want to get that because to me, that's just foolishness and nonsense. Like what would cause you to do that? Maybe sometimes though, the, 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 the wife or the woman can irritate you or enrage you to that point. Not even to the point of putting hands on her though. That's kind of crazy. Or threatening her with a gun? That's insane. I'm not saying that people don't have problems. I'm saying I'm not saying that she couldn't have escalated things and maybe lying at this point. I don't know. I'm saying I don't know. But for the most part, like if that's true, why like why would you do that? Maybe he has some issues with his mental, emotional state, backlog stuff. I don't know. But for the most part, that's insane. That's insane. And maybe I maybe it's just me. Once again, maybe it's just me coming from a place where I just think that if you play basketball or you play a sport that you love, by the way, and you make millions of dollars doing that, then you should have a happier life. Maybe that's just me. That you should have no no faults in life. Yes, they are still human. Don't forget about that. But I'm sure that having loads of money and to play the sport that you love makes a big difference in how you go about life. I'm just I'm just saying. But for the most part, I just don't get some of these stories sometimes. I really don't. I really don't. So I'm not going to sit here and say that one person is lying and one person isn't for the most part. But if it is coming down to that, you guys know how I feel about these kind of things, man. If she's lying, that's a bad look on her. If he's doing this and she's not lying, geez, it just confirms all the 
numerous thoughts that we had before about some of these athletes who secretly behind doors are crazy. <laughs> crazy and like to put hands on children and women. Insane. Insane. All right, guys. Anyways, you know, it's funny. I went from bad news to good news to bad news. Now I'm about to go back to some more bad news, I guess, for one team's part and some good news for that team. Game seven. Game seven for the NBA. And by the way, before we go into that, have you guys been watching the NHL playoffs? It's been outstanding, man. NHL hockey playoff is great to watch. Outstanding. A different kind of feel to sports that I'd never experienced before, and I'm so glad that I discovered it. And I'm so glad that I'm betting on it now. Yes, sir. But anyways, moving on. Game seven, Celtics and Bucks, Mavericks and Suns. What the hell happened here? Jeez. Jeez. I will tell you what happened. You know, my prediction was Celtics and seven. I got that right. So clap it up for me. Clap, 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 clap. All right. But I did say that the Celtics would win this game in a sense of, yeah, the first half would be kind of close, a little back and forth action. Okay. And then third quarter would come and the Celtics would, would have this lead stressed out. The Bucks would try to maintain that range of trying to be in striking distance, but they wouldn't ultimately make any big runs to come back. And instead of my prediction, which was like a seven to eight point lead in the third quarter, it was about 11 to 13, you know, or 11 for that matter, for the most part, fourth quarter comes. It is an eruption eruption. And it happens later in the third quarter to the beginning of the fourth quarter. Now, Giannis, First player in the series to drop 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists. That guy is all-time great. There's no reason why anybody should believe otherwise of him being the best player in the NBA. I mean, that's just foolishness. It's foolishness. I mean, you can have your own opinion, but it could be wrong, and it definitely is wrong. This guy is the best player in the NBA. You know, without Chris Middleton, without a reliable scorer or second running mate in Drew Holiday, he still kept his team afloat by being dominant and being aggressive and still playing some good defense against the league's best defense in the NBA, by the way. I mean, I, 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 I thrive on talking about my, my Miami Heat defense and I always get a kick out of that, but I know the Celtics defense is better than ours. I know that I'm not delusional. I know it's going to be a tough matchup for us. Anyway, I'm still picking the D in seven, by the way, but you know, still, I know that they have the best defense in the league. And three out of the actually four teams in the NBA have pretty good defenses. <laughs> Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Right? The 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 top teams in the NBA when it comes to defense for the most part are in the the playoffs still. That's crazy, right? That is, that is insane. But anyways, moving on into this game, like, what happened? Ha oh boy. Ha oh boy. Top, the four of the top, I don't know, four of the top five teams, Boston, Dallas, Miami, Cleveland, who are not in the playoffs, and Golden State. Four out of the top five teams are still in the playoffs. Defense wins you games, championships. We know that. But for all those who are still banking on the, the Nets and – Giannis to, you know, just carry and the Suns to hopefully use their veteran presence. Man, that's not enough. Not enough. You know, 
Anyways, going back into this game, what happened? Game seven, we always say that, listen, you never know what could happen. It's, I, I think game seven is always going to be an equally matched matchup. And it's more about who wants it more. Who wants it more, right? And we saw that in game seven for the Celtics or for any team, any home team. There's always going to be that. Actually, not even a home team. Any team for that matter. There's always going to be that one player that you would have never thought would go off in this game to help you secure this dub. And to either win a championship or move on to the next round. Always that one player. It happens every time. Every single time. It never fails. That one player that always has a master class performance to win you game seven. And who would have thought it would be Grant Williams? 27 points? The leading scorer in the game, he outscored Giannis. <laughs> this guy had 18 three-pointer attempts. What? That that Grant Williams? Really? That's your body? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. All right, excuse me. Because we know that. And game seven is like this for the most part. I have to say the most part because when we go into the, the next game, this is going to be a real shocker for this one. But we know that for the most part, your star players are going to show up. Tatum, 23 points. Jalen Brown, 19 points. Both efficient shooting, you know. And sometimes you're going to have that two, maybe one player that's going to have an atrocious shooting night. Al Horford, Marcus Smart, jeez. Two of seven, two for nine, but... To get into the game other ways, I'll hold for 10 boards, I guess. Marcus Smart, who I have been saying that has had a better series overall than Drew Holiday, for instance, played better defense, or maybe not better defense, just about, but better offensive efficiency and better aggressiveness and better consistency. Once again, seven boards, 10 assists. We always say that the Celtics don't have a true point guard, and they don't still for me, but at least Marcus Smart has done a good job in trying to fulfill that role and to put himself in that role, and give them a shout, right? Off the bench, Peyton Pritchard, 14 points. His step-back three came back again. Talking about it in that net series, step-back Peyton Pritchard came back again. Man, oh, man. <laughs> That's crazy. But let's go to the Bucks. The Bucks, right? Giannis didn't have the best shooting night, but once again, what can you do? What can you do? You've done all you can. 20, 25 points, 26 shots is not the best. It's actually pretty terrible. But 20 boards, nine assists, what can you do? What what, what, what can you do? You know, I know you have five two turnovers as well, too, but for the most part, no one came to play that game. The game seven, the, the game of the season, your season is on the line. And in the second half, you just capitulate. 15 points from Brooke Lopez, 10 boards. By the way, why is this guy still camping out there shooting threes? Why? You are, like, at one point in the playoffs, the Bucks were still the biggest team remaining in this playoffs. And we still got guys like Brooke Lopez and Jaron Jackson camping at the three-point line when they have mismatches in the paint. Why are you still doing that? Why? I told you guys, man, I, I never believed this, too. I never believed in Drew Holiday coming out and being the efficient, keyword efficient, 
scorer for this team. Sometimes he would go, he wouldn't have these nice spurts where he goes off offensively. Sometimes he would struggle a lot. Actually, most times he would. 21 points off of 21 shots is terrible. 0 for 6 from 3, terrible. And I thought this guy would come out to play. He did nothing this series. I mean, he had probably like maybe one game and one decent game. But for the most part, he did nothing this series. Grayson Allen, 0 for 6. And this guy over here taking the shot taken that he had in that game. Seriously, that's the best look that you think you can get in that kind of situation? That's the best look? 0 for 6? Why, why, who, what possessed you to do that? I mean, this guy thinks he has a green light. And for the most part, I'm not going to criticize my guy, Pat Connaughton, because I think that he had a great series. I think he did his job off the bench. When when it came to reliable bench players, I think he was the best bench player for the Milwaukee Bucks in this series because Bobby Portis went goal sometimes, if I'm being honest. Pat Connaughton was the most consistent player off the bench for this team. So I'm not saying that he's overdue for a bad game, which he was, one for six, or for five from three. But for the most part, he did his job. I think that the Bucks. Kind of messed up when you had a chance to close out this series in game four. Win that, go up three to one, but you let the Celtics come back and have this onslaught of scoring and just having whatever shot they want and just going off and not trying to match that at least. You can't get no stops, but you can't match that and go back to Boston and close it out maybe. But you had a chance again. You win in Boston again. You go back to Milwaukee, you still can't do it. What the heck? That's not good enough. That is not good enough. You know, so Celtics, Heat, that preview is going to be great. So just stay tuned for that. We'll get to that as the show continues. Mavericks and Suns. Luka had 27 points in the first half. The Suns had 27 points in the first half. What the hell happened? And I know that you guys can recall me saying that. I'm not sure exactly what Mavericks team is going to come out there. Will it be the team that I have been seeing in the past in every home game so far played against the Suns in this series that would come out with energy, intensity, would make a focal point of defense and, you know, just being gritty? I wasn't sure. But if I was sure of that team coming out, not the way that they, not the, not the way that they dismantled the Suns team, but just the idea of them playing similar to what they have been playing like at home, I would have put the Mavs. I would have, but I didn't because I didn't believe in them to do that. But was I wrong? <laughs> was I wrong? And it's not even about the turnovers, right? Because each team had 12 apiece. It's not even about that. It's about the defensive intensity and the double teams. And finally, on a game that you need to win, obviously, and in a game in Phoenix, saying to yourself that we're not going to let Devin Booker beat us. We're not going to let Chris Paul beat us. You know, I had a friend the other day say to me that Chris Paul is going to go off and he's going to have 25 points in this game. I said, what? What? He'd be lucky if he has 15. What are you talking about? By the way, he, he had 10 points. Yeah. Five times he has blown a 2-0 lead. That is not by mistake. Some of it is injuries. Some of it is bad luck. But for the most part, it's not rising up to the occasion of a Game 7, the intensity of a Game 7, the importance of a Game 7. And if we look at how he was supposed to do his job, he failed. He failed. And, you know, watching uh, Undisputed today, this morning, 
and you know Shannon Sharp making these points, Skip making all these points. Once again, the same thing happens. What happen? What happened to games four, five, or six? What happens to game two and uh, uh, game three and four on the road? You look lackluster there. You look lost in those games. You come back to Phoenix, you win. Game six, you look lost again. That's what great players do. I'm confused. Really. That's what a top five point guard does. To me, he's still top five off the gameplay and off his mindset as a player and off of how he you know, he just facilitates as a floor general. But when it comes to his playoff record, oh, yeah, that's atrocious. It's not good enough. It's not good enough at all. There was a point in time where I said to myself that if he wins one chip, I would give it to him. Like, I would feel confident giving him the – the, the the sole place of the best point guard ever. But I mean that was a hard take, I, I guess you could say that was that was terrible. But let's go back to this game. What happened? Luca happened. Once again, same thing happening with the three-point balls. The looks are there, the looks are falling. 19 three-pointers made, 48%. What? Really? Really? Okay, and you know when you have Jalen Brunson, who by the way has he has found his confidence. It would be a shame for him to come out against Golden State and not play the same way or similar to what he's been playing like at least towards the end of this series because he has come out and looked like his former self. He really has. Jalen Brunson for me has done his job. Twenty four points. He played good games. The back, the back to back games he had in Phoenix, he's played good. So we see that now when Luca's on the bench, he's getting his rest. This is Brunson time. This is time for Brunson to go off and get his buckets. Because we know that Devin Booker, who has improved as a defender, cannot guard him still. Chris Paul can't guard him. Doesn't matter. And Luca, Jay Crowder can't guard him. Mikel Bridges can't guard him. A guy who was nominated as one of the defensive players of the year can't guard him. Can just slow him down. Cam Johnson. Doesn't matter who they put on him. They just they can't guard him. You can't guard him. You cannot guard him. So I look at that and I see to myself, you know, how did this game get out of hand? How? How did it get out of hand? Without Reggie Bullock, who's been one of the best three-point shooters, not making more than two three-point shooters, I mean, three-point makes. Dorian Finney-Smith, only one for three. How did this game get out of hand? The defensive intensity was great and was constant throughout the entirety of the game. And a guy who I have criticized, and I will still criticize him, but maybe we have finally found something in this guy again. Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench, 30 points? Bruh, where was this at? Where were you? Where have you been? I'm not saying you got dropped 30 points every night, but at least give me like a smooth 15. On a good night, 20 plus points, 30 points. This guy had his way. That, that was the Spencer Dinwiddie I remember from his time with the Nets. The blow pass, the defender Spencer Dinwiddie. The rise up and get the shot, the shot that you want Spencer Dinwiddie. The guy that can create his own one-on-one shot and be efficient at it. That was the guy that they traded for. Why did it take you so long to get back into the series? Why? Damn, man. That guy was on fire last night. Or two nights ago, at least. But... You just saw, I mean, the fans were taking out the game. The fans were never in the game because how can your team score? <laughs> how can your team score 10 points in the second quarter? Give up 30 points. 
how can your team score 23 points, give up 30 points again, and give up another 30-point piece in the fourth quarter? It doesn't matter what, how much you score at that point, but I'm just saying. Embarrassing. That was really embarrassing. To get punched in the mouth like that, that was really embarrassing. Did not expect that at all. I did not. I did not. I don't think anybody did, to be honest. But for the most part, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, you know, there were some reports about DeAndre Ayton having like a little uh, tussle, not tussle for, for, you know, verbatim, but just like this argument with um, Monty Williams about something, quitting on the team, whatnot. That's, that's hard words right there. If you quit on the team, that's hard. That's hard indeed. But Suns are in trouble. <laughs> Suns are in trouble because now DeAndre Ayton, who should have gotten, I mean, listen, to, to, to be fair to both sides, I think that he definitely sometimes did not assert himself in the game as he should have because having you being guarded by Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleber, Davis Bertans, sometimes Dorian Finney-Smith, like that should be bread and butter for you. You should be eating. You should be averaging 30 points this series. There should be no one that should be able to stop you. At all. You should take the ball, demand the ball in the post, back these small dudes down, and get your bucket. Get a bucket. Simple. But I blame partly Monty Williams and Chris Paul, too, because he is that coach slash player figure for not getting him more looks. Because they could have won this game. Or they could have won this series solely based off of his presence in the paint. And now he's a free agent. And now if he decides to say that you guys didn't value me, you guys undervalued me, you didn't treat me like I was home, which I think he will because the Suns didn't do that. They didn't give him the contract that he wanted to, the extension that he wanted. Now he can say that, you know what, I played my butt off. I played, well, I guess you can say that, but he can say that I played under the, under the contract, under the circumstances of what you gave me, didn't complain, and now I have a chance to command a lot of money. Now, whether or not he wants to stay with the Suns or not, that'll really remain to be seen. But for the most part, he did his job. And if they lose DeAndre Ayton, that's a big loss for them. Top five center in the league, that's a big loss for them. Top five, top ten, of course. But Devin Booker, three for 14, that's that's not what we expect from the best player on the court. Well, I mean, not obviously not because Luka's there, but the best player on your team, that's not what you expect to happen. You know, Mikel Bridges didn't contribute. Contribute. Jay Crowder obviously didn't contribute. It was a terrible performance from the Suns anyway. It's not the point here. The point is that they just did not come out to play. Did not. And once again, 83% of the teams who win game five go on to win the series. That did not happen with these two teams. The Suns and the Bucks both sold. 83% did not happen. Embarrassing, I must say. Very embarrassing. Not for the Bucks' perspective, but from the Suns to be home, to have home court advantage, and to get blown out the water, blown out the park like, like that. Oh, nah. Oh, nah. And, you know, we knew something was wrong when we saw Chris Paul having these types of games where he was just looking lackluster, looking lost. And I've never seen him be defended like this before, which is going into the series preview between the Mavs and Golden State Warriors is the Jason Kidd effect. Because if you guys saw the way this guy was coaching on the sidelines, stay home, though. Stay home, though. Stay home. Chop, 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 chop. Hands up, hands up. Contest, contest. Now, I'm not saying that coaches don't do that. 
Oh, I'm not saying that he's the only coach that does that. But for the most part, if you can remember, and I can definitely remember the Dallas Mavericks the past couple of years and how terrible, how downright, you know, there's no structure at all. There's no plan, no philosophy at all on how to defend the other team. And Kidd has come into that team and, you know, they had some bumps in the, in, the, in the early stages of the season, but for the most part has formed an identity. That's what you're going to have when you have a new identity to form. You got Luca playing defense now. You know, you got the whole team playing some great team defense, and that's why they were the second best team in the NBA in defensive rating for the most part or for opponents scored, opponents points scored. Because I, I've seen years in the past where this team would not play defense. They would give up 130 points. It happened one time. Against the Rockets, where they let up, I think the, the the score line was 147 to 145. Like, how could you give up 145 points in the game? Like, do you guys not defend that? Like, you guys just giving uh, each other chances of horse? That's insane. But Jason Kidd, the Jason Kidd effect has worked out. Seriously. He has worked out. And for the Mavs to run small ball, they can run small ball to, to guard the Warriors. They can. It's worked out. You know, we always say that you can't beat a team the way the team plays against you, as in, like, you can't mirror that sometimes. Maybe you can for the most part, but sometimes you just can't. I think the Mavs, the Mavs can. I, I really think they can. I, I don't believe that they can guard the three guards of Steph Clay and Jordan Poole individually, but as a whole, with a whole team defense, the double teams, the running off the three-point line, the switches, they can guard them. This will be the, the most physical team so far that the Warriors will play in the in the playoffs this year. The most physical team. And vice versa for the Eastern Conference as well, too. But we know that Luka will be the best player in the series automatically because he was just the best player in the series with this Suns team, being the best team in the NBA. So how do you guard him? Do you put Jonathan Kaminga on him? Someone mentioned before Draymond, which is a bad idea. I mean, I don't care how good of a defender he is. He's not going to keep up with Luka. But I can see most likely Jonathan Kaminga being that guy because he's just the most he's just the most athletic. The guy that can maybe, you know, do a couple of things in here to hold his own. But once again, we've seen that you can put Mikel Bridges on Luka. It wouldn't matter. Spin off, lay up, get a bucket. Easy. Get off me. Also, another question. Will Steph and Clay improve upon their three-point shooting? Now, I think they will. But I also do believe that they're still going to have that little – it's going to be a balance, right? They're going to improve, but it's not going to be that much of, a, of an improvement because we are going to see this team, this Mavericks team, get physical and play some great team team defense to the point where I don't really see how Steph and Clay are going to get the easy looks that they were getting in Memphis series. Now, this is going to be a series where they don't get easy looks. This right here is a series that they don't get easy looks at all because that Memphis series was easy looks, wide open looks. They were just missing. This time, I expect to see these Mavericks defenders, despite them not being the best one-on-one defenders, I expect them to be running off these guys off the three-point line and forcing them to beat them inside somehow. You know, not just, you know, easy looks at the three-point line and just blowing past your, your man easily to get uh, points in the paint which is what happened in the Memphis series. But I must say, if the Mavs has found something in Spencer Dinwiddie, what a bonus that would be for the series. I mean, what better time to play up than to be right now, Spencer? Listen to me, Spencer. Seriously. 
what better time to play up than to be right now against this team, Western Conference Finals, do your job. Do your job. Do what you were traded to do what you were uh you were supposed to do while you got traded here. Like, come on now. Come on. I know what I'm gonna get from Luca. I know now what I'm gonna get from Jalen Brunson because he had this little hiatus where he was gone for two games, but he's back now. Spencer, you've been pretty much gone for the entire duration of the playoffs. You come in for like a little couple of days, like a three weekend stay, a few day weekend stay, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then you leave. No, 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 no. I need you to stay for the whole entire series. The whole entire series, all right? And it's going to come down to who will shoot the three-point ball better. I mean, the Suns got blown out by the Mavericks without having some of their best three-point shooters make threes. Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, Max Kleber only made one three. So (laughs) it's going to come down to who will have the best efficient night on the three-point line. And we know that the Suns, I mean, not the Suns, the Mavericks, were gonna, they're going to get their looks. They definitely aren't. That's no problem because when you have that pick and roll situation where we're trying to isolate a defender on Luka or whatever, and he drives and a defender overcommits, and we have these deadly three-point shooters in the corner just waiting to get an open look. It's going to happen. You know, because there's no one on that team aside from Draymond that can really hold their own defensively. They play some good team defense. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be a cake park. Or walk in the park or cake cake for the the Mavs to win this series either. But for the most part, I think this is a a big mismatch problem for the Warriors. I do. When it comes to defensive intensity at least. You know? So same thing here. Exploit. If you get Jaymon on you for that pick and roll for Luca, then it can work out still. He's a good defender, but he can't keep up with Luca at all. Um if you get Kevon Looney even better doesn't matter who it is. Everyone on that team is a mouse in the house. Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, who is not up to par with his defensive standards just yet. Jordan Poole. doesn't matter who it is. Mouse in the house. Which is why, call me crazy, but I'm going Mavs in seven. I'm going with the upset here. I really am. Call me crazy, like I said before, but I'm going with the upset here. Because I just believe that yeah, the, the 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 Golden State Warriors will have a, a series where they will improve upon their three-point shooting, but it's not going to be enough this time. It's not. Because I know the Mavs are not – they maybe not be the best or the deeper team than Memphis was last series, but they're better coached, and they play better defense. And what happens? Defense can always win you more possessions, can keep you in the game. What happened for the Celtics? What happened for the Heat? What happened for the Mavericks? Is what's gonna happen for the Warriors? I mean, I mean the Mavericks against the Warriors, you know what I mean? Yeah, anyways. So yeah, I'm I'm going Mavs in seven. Call me crazy, but I am going Mavs in seven, guys. I'm going Mavs in seven. Now let's talk about the Miami and Boston series. Uh, and by the way, Mavs won that series, season series three to one. Now, yes, you know, players were out, this, that, and the third, but they won the season series. That's all that matters. Boston and Miami. Boston won the season series 2-1. to one. Um, Miami first in the league in three-point percentage and defending the three-point line, too, so I like that matchup already. Um, you can't just – we're not going to give these open looks to the Boston Celtics like they got in the Milwaukee series, partly because of how big and a presence they were in that paint. And they should have much more easier looks because we are not as big as the Bucks are, obviously. So, you know, they're going to have a chance to attack us in the paint. 
But for the most part, when it comes to living on that three-point line, I don't think they will have that this time around. Um, will we have an answer for Tatum and Brown? I don't think so. I think that we have to do our job when it comes to the way we've defended some of these stars, Trey Young, Joel Embiid, James Harden, that double team. Just double team, get the ball out of their hands, make them pass it up. And when it comes down to them passing it up to guys on the three-point line ready to attack or just shoot, you either have a nice contest, which we have been doing well this entire postseason, or we have them run off the three-point line. I don't mind that at all. But some star players or some players notably to put on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown would be Jimmy Butler or Depot, possibly, maybe Caleb Martin. I'm just thinking about guys who will have the intensity and the height to match up with these kind of guys because anybody else will get cooked. And these guys might get cooked too. I don't really envision Jimmy Butler stopping any one of these guys, but I mean, he can slow him down. I think he could do that. But the biggest thing, force double teams for Tatum and Brown, or I would say force a double team for Tatum because he's obviously going to be the best player to walk on this series court on either side of the basketball. Uh, and just take your poison for Brown or the three-point shooting that, that, that they might have for that game. But you don't want to do that all the time. Just throw some different looks out there, some zone defense. We'll see what happens. But for the most part, this team will be outsized. Robert Williams, depending on his health, Al Horford, those guys are bigger than Bam and P.J. Tucker. You know, not going to mean much, but I do envision some second-chance points. I do envision some uh, boards that we might not get unless we work harder for, which bodes well for us because we have been working hard when it comes to offensive rebounding. So that could still happen, but they will be bigger than us. This is still this is now the biggest team remaining in the playoffs. No team is bigger. Okay. Um, Marcus Smart, questionable for game one, depending on his health. He is that you sort of fill in point guard for them to do it all kind of for them. Um, also, Kyle Lowry, he might be out for game one. I think he will be out for game one. So another big blow for us. I always said that I wanted Kyle Lowry to be here for the biggest games. And every game in the playoffs is a big game. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to the Eastern Conference Finals, I need to see my full team and how we work. Because despite us not playing terrible or actually playing good in some sparks without Kyle Lowry, I do want to see how we look fully with the team. So I can say that, yes, we did make a good investment for the most part in getting Kyle Lowry, trading for him from Toronto and getting him into this team to help us win these kind of series and win the, these kind of matchups, despite them being bigger than us, having star players who, who can go off with 30 points each night if they wanted to. But I do believe that we have a better coach. So that's to play a big role for us. Doesn't take anything away from Ime Uduka, who is a rise ascending coach in this league and has changed that Boston de defense around. Well, you got to remember, like the Boston defense was not like this two years ago, not even last year. But he has put his imprint on that team. All right. And it's going to come down to us shooting threes better. I think since the Atlanta series, we have steadily declined in three point percentage, which is not good at all. So, we have to find a way to raise our standards. We're not, I mean, I think that we're gonna for the most part shoot good at home, but it's those away games that I'm worried about. And right now, it doesn't really matter about home court advantage because I think that either team is good enough to win home or away. So I wouldn't be surprised if we win the first game and then we lose the second game. It's possible. But I need to see us uh come out with a lot of energy and intensity. Once again, the same thing that applies. 
Will Jimmy Butler still be effective? I think he will be. I think he has this sort of mindset and this playoff uh, urgency that I've never seen from him yet. I've seen him. Actually, I'm lying. I, I can't say that. But he has been playing really well. Really, really well. To the point where I, I'm believing more in our chances of getting to the finals because of his production and because of his effortless scoring sometimes. I mean, scoring buckets, tough buckets at that against Joel Embiid is something to be proud of in the paint at least not in the perimeter in the paint where he has his it's that's his element you know um and the emergence of victor lodipo off the bench has given us a spark so i like that combination of him and tyler hero by the way tyler hero has to play better for me i mean he is the sixth man of the year for a reason and i don't want to see these instances of him just disappearing in playoff games i can't because it's it's guys like him that's going to Give me the reason, hope to believe that we can beat teams like the, like the Celtics and go on to beat either the Mavs or the the Warriors for that matter. So I need to see Tyler Hero go off because one, he needs to, and this should be a given, but he needs to be the best player on both teams off the bench. He needs to be. You can't have guys like Peyton Pritchard outdoing you. You can't have guys like Derek Wright outdoing you. Like that's that you can't. No, cannot. It's not gonna happen. It shouldn't happen. So right now I'm calling the Heat in seven. Uh, Heat winning five against the Hawks. Heat winning six against the Sixers. Heat winning seven against the Celtics. But I just believe that we have a matchup that we like to switch a lot, which could be good and bad in some situations. That might be a mismatch for them. Could be a mismatch favor for us. But for the most part, they're not going to get that pick and roll situation. And I think that Spolster will have an idea of mixing up a zone, getting us in situations where, you know, we're not going to always have them switch on a mismatch as in put Tatum on Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson if he plays or Max Strews, you know, those kind of guys. I feel comfortable with the matchups of Tucker and Butler and Oladipo here and there and Bam here and there when we switch. And for that reason, I don't really believe that they'll have that element of the pick and roll to utilize there will be a lot of threat there, uh, depending on Robert Williams' health. Uh, and we will have to guard up on the perimeter because Al Hofer is not going to always camp out in the paint. So he's always going to be out there stretching out the floor. So that will be something for them to attack and penetrate in the paint. But still, I'm rocking with my heat. Heat in seven. And it's funny because every freaking day I see people, I see Media outlets, sports outlets, doubting the Heat. You know the new odds came, and they said that we are the third favorite, the third best favorite to win the NBA championship, or to I think to make the finals. And we were the underdogs in this series, which I guess we should be in a way. If you think about the Celtics defense, you think about the way that they've been playing. But we are the number one seed in the East for a reason. Okay, and. Uh, a couple of games of the Celtics playing great and playing with consistency and playing at just the right time, it's not going to change that before the regular season ended at least. So I have too much hope in my team to believe that we're going to lose. We're not going to, we're not going to win this series. And if we do, I mean, fair play to them. I hope we don't lose. Cause I don't, I, I hate the Celtics. If you guys knew how much hatred I have for the Celtics, it's definitely top five teams, top five teams. In the NBA, I hate. I hate the Celtics. I hate the Lakers. 
I used to hate the Raptors, but now I hate the, the Nets because well, yeah, Will's a fan of the Nets. So yeah, I had the Lakers. Um, I don't really hate any team in the West for that matter. Yeah, for the most part. I don't really hate any team in the West. Yeah. Um, okay, but just to run on my, my top five list. I do hate the Clippers. <laughs> for some strange reason, I just don't like them at all. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. And beforehand, I used to hit the Raptors, but now that's filled with the, the 76ers. I hate the 76ers. I really do. But no team I hate the most than the Celtics. They are the peak of hatred for me when it comes to teams. I hate the Celtics. <laughs> I hate every – I don't like Boston. I don't like the team. I don't like the colors, the, the logo. The history, I hate all of that. <laughs> you know, Danny Ainge could kick rocks. Brad Stevens could kick rocks. I'm telling you, man, I hate the Celtics. No other team that I hate the most. So, you know how great I felt when we beat that team in the 2020 bubble playoffs where people were calling it a fluke? Well, haha, look at you now. We're back in the Eastern Conference Finals again. Two years later down the line. Mad at it. Be mad. All right? But anyways. You know how great it felt beating that team in six and Bam going off of that 30.14 rebound game to secure that that finals appearance? It felt great. How great would it feel to do that as in win the series against them again when they're much better, when we're much better, and we're playing in front of our home crowds and there's no bubble factor in this series now? It'll feel great. So I'm going with the Heat here in seven. I'm going Mavericks in seven. I'm going Heat in seven. A rematch of the 2011 finals. Wow. That is crazy. Who would have thought about that? I don't mind either team we face. I think that the Mavericks will be, you know, I don't really mind, to be honest. Like, you got to you gotta be, be the best. To be the best, you got to beat the best. So, yeah, is what it is. But that is my preview for the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference Finals. And the biggest thing that I love about this year's uh, playoffs is that it's anybody's game. Anybody's game. We all saw the Bucks having this dynasty happen or this dynasty forming. And unfortunately, injuries derailed that. But, you know, they're not there anymore. Not even in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. We all thought that the, the Nets would be sure favorites to make it past the first round. Did that happen? We all thought that the Suns were back after we all believed that they would not replicate the same kind of performance that they had in last year's uh, playoff run. And they were proving that we were wrong in that sense, but now they're out of the playoffs, <laughs> you know? So it is what it is. I'm liking this year's playoffs because everything is open. No team is really dominant at this point. Yeah. There are still favorites. Yeah. There are still people who will claim these teams are favorites, but there's no favorites at all. I think my team is good enough to beat any team left in the playoffs i think my team is also good enough to lose to any team in this series in any series for that matter because they're just that good and there's a reason why they're still left in the playoffs good coaching good defense and great star player talent and overall good team depth now i do believe that my team and the warriors are the best when it comes to the team depth but that's not to say that the celtics or the mavs are any slouch because when it comes down to the role players the role players can play really big parts in the games, and they have done so when they needed to. Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Reggie Bullock, Spencer Dinwiddie. So, yeah, good job. I, I wouldn't even say Spencer Dinwiddie. I would say um, 
um, Maxi Kleber, yeah, Dorian Finney-Smith, those kind of guys. But Keenan 7, Mavis 7, guys, let me know what you think about that in the comment section below. Leave a review. Let me hear what you think will happen, which team will come out, and which team will represent the East and West for the finals that will come in the future. But anyways, yo, what a great, great, great episode of Game Breakers. Started off bad because I had to rant about my Arsenal team. Jeez, I hate being an Arsenal fan, but it is what it is. But for the most part, we are still going to rock it on. You know, that's what sports does to you, man. That's what it does to you. It can ruin your whole weekend. And that has happened to me a couple of times. Actually, yeah, it happens to me pretty often. <laughs> it happens to me pretty often. But it's not my fault, though. It's my team's fault. I, I guess it's my fault for, for picking these teams. And by the way, if I ever feel like changing teams, I better not hear anything from my fans out there for Game Breaker saying that you can't change teams. I don't care. Because if these players and these athletes can go to any team they want to when it comes to free agency and traded, whatever the case may be, I can be traded to a good team. I can be traded to a bad team possibly too. It's not going to happen though. I'm a free agent, you feel me? I'm a free agent. I can go anywhere I want to if need be. But I'm just saying in the future, if I ever come down to that point of changing teams, I will gladly do it. No, nah, I'm just joking. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyways, guys, you know what time it is, man. Support Game Breakers. Support my guy, Will. Support, you know, my guy, Will, and his TikToks is, is always bombing out there. So keep on uh, uh, commenting on that and liking his post. Keep on supporting Game Breakers. You know me, Eddie, the future sports analyst. They're the best in the business. No one better than me, to be honest. Like, there's no one better than me. Not one. I have not found a single contender yet. We'll try it. He's not better than me. He's just not. I'm sorry. So until you guys find someone that can argue with me about sports, I'm the best. There is. Get that person, get that he or she, and get her into the ring. Because I'm ready to fight any day about sports. But anyways, support my team, the MBS crew, the podcast, the shows, the articles. Yeah, all that great stuff. But anyways, guys. We'll be back once again for some more NBA coverage, some more sports talk. And now that we have less games, we are going to go back to a regular schedule sooner or later of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever day I feel like it, to be honest. But, you know, gave you guys some extra coverage for the playoffs and hope, hopefully we could continue doing that uh, for the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference uh, Finals. So stay tuned for that. But, guys, be safe and enjoy the rest of the day.